Okay, now, uh, <clears throat> just to um, begin with a brief review of last week. We have gone so far through the idea that there are three meters to the Rabbani Shalom, three dispositions or, or characteristics of the Rabbani Shalom. In other words, that he displays toward the Bria, toward mankind. And we see that the first meter, which is Chesed, is essentially the disposition to allow Hatova flow. In other words, the characteristics of the Rabbani Shalom, that the Hatova, the natural tendency of the Rabbani Shalom, which is his flow of Hatova, goodness or benevolence, that this benevolent flow is allowed, number one, and number two, that it's allowed completely, which means that it's unlimited, it's infinite, and it's unconditional. In other words, that it's not conditional upon any other idea, that it flows without any kind of uh, uh, condition. Now, the second meter which we had gone through is Gvura. And Gvura, which of course is strength, that is the second meter, and that is basically or essentially the disposition to withhold the Hatova flow. In other words, that there should be no flow of Hatova to be withheld, it's restricted. And the second idea is that this Hatova flow, this flow of benevolence from the Rabbani Shalom to the Nivroim, to creations, is completely withheld. That is the essential idea of Gura, which is the second meter. So we see that basically both Gura and Chesed are either the, to allow the Hatova flow completely, or to restrict or to withhold the Hatova flow completely. So we're really dealing with either Gura or Chesed, or rather Chesed or Gvura, in terms of the extremes. Therefore, we need a third meter, which is Teferis. And Teferis is basically a composite of the meter of Chesed and Gvura. It's not a new kind of activity or action on the part of the Rebbein It's not a new meter at all, but rather a composite of Chesed and Gvura. Also, but essentially what Teferis means is that there are no extremes in either Chesed or Gvura. In other words, that uh, the chesed and the gvura do not manifest any extremes at all. Therefore, there is no excessive chesed and there is no severe gvura, which would be either pure chesed or pure gvura. Rather, we see that there is a disposition for partialness, where the Rabbani Shalom allows both chesed and gvura, but not complete in terms of the extremes, but in the sense of partialness that they both can partially operate. In other words, both are allowed to operate and therefore everything can come into existence. So therefore this is what Ferris is. It's that disposition for partialness, no extremes, of both Chesed and Givura, which of course is the components of Teferis. As a result of all this, we see that the will of the Rabbani Shalom, his Ratzon, is fulfilled in terms of four ideas. The first idea is Bria, that there can be a creation at all. The second idea is that there can be a subsistence or a maintenance of that existence, which is the Kim of the Bria. The third idea is that there can be a Hatova, a true benevolent flow to created beings. And the fourth idea is that this Hatova can be Bishlemus, that this Hatova can be accompanied or rather can be uh, experienced by the Nivroim, the created beings, without any kind of loss of self-respect or embarrassment or whatever. Therefore, the Hatova is called Hatova Shlema. 
Therefore, as a result of Teferes, which is a mediating attribute, we now can have the Kim of the Rabboni Shalom's Ratzon in all four areas. Also what was mentioned is the concept called Kim Tumidus, which means that since we know that Teferes will initially uh, rele- uh, relegate the amount of Hatova according to Din, which is Lefi Maisov, according to the actions of the Nevroim, and according to those actions, if they be good, then they get Hatova, and if they be bad, they do not get Hatova. There's an absence of Hatova. This, of course, is called absolute Din. In other words, when Hatova is distributed according to the acts of man, absolutely, this is absolute Din. And we know that the universe could not exist with this absolute Din, because as soon as a man sinned, the universe would cease to be. Therefore, there is a further need in terms of Teferis, in order that the universe should exist continuously, Kim Tamidus. And therefore, what we begin to see is that the Gevura is more mitigated in the sense that it is more Atova, or the opposite way of looking at it is that Chesed is less restricted, therefore again there is more Atova. As a result of that, we see the concept called relative Din, because there is still justice in the sense that ultimately everything has to be fulfilled through justice, but we see relative Din because there is a negation of absolute Din. In other words, Din is not always able to function absolutely in order the universe should exist. And this, is course, of course, is called Rachmim, or mercy or compassion. This is briefly what I had spoken about last week. Now, in this year, we're going to, I'm going to summarize uh, and finish the uh, ideas of the attributes of the Rabboni Shalom. Now, if you recall, a while back, uh, several weeks ago, I had introduced this series of Shurim by six questions. And these questions, of course, address themselves to this topic, namely the attributes of the Rabboni Shalom, in terms of the way he relates or the, in terms of the way he reveals himself to creation. And what I'd like to do now is to go through those six questions and answer them, and that will be a summary of all the shulam previously in terms of the attributes of the Rebbein Shulam, in terms of the previous six shulam. And, uh, uh, and, and, and then after, afterwards, I'll discuss one more idea of the attribute, and we'll conclude that with the shir. Now, what was the first question that I had asked previously? The quest, first question was, what are the fundamental midos or attributes of the Rabbani Shalom? These are the original questions. What are the fundamental or the basic ideas in terms of the attributes of God, in terms of his characteristics, how he manifests himself to creation? What we saw then, and now we can begin to answer these questions, that we see that his true mitziusoi, his true atzmusoi, the true nature of God, of course, is not knowable. But we know that the Rabbani Shalom has revealed to us that Tuvoi, the idea that God is totally and completely good at all times, Teva Hashem Lakol, it says, that the Rabbani Shalom is good to all and at all times. Therefore, the Rabbani Shalom revealed to us that this Tuvoi, this aspect of his being good, benevolent, giving this state of well-being, of course, to his creations, is identical to his mitziusoi, which means that when the presence of God is felt, one immediately feels a tremendous state of well-being, tuvoi, or benevolence. When, of course, the uh, presence of the Rebbe is withheld or concealed, then one, of course, does not feel the state of well-being, then we have the absence of tuvoi. Therefore, we see, as revealed by the Rebbe 
that his tuvo, his goodness, is synonymous or identical and always appears with or occurs with the mitzvahs of the Rebbeinu the presence of God. Therefore, we see that chesed, gevura, and teferes are the three fundamental attributes of God. And now we understand that all three attributes are not different actions. Different, For instance, what you see in an individual a person has many different attributes and many different actions. But we see that chesed, gvur, and tferes all pivot around hatova. One means the excessive flow of hatova, chesed. Gvur means the complete absence of hatova. And tferes, of course, is that mediating attribute where you have partial hatova. And, of course, it's, uh, it's uh, regulated by din, which is the actions of man. Therefore, we see that the midas of the Rebbe are three in number, all of them centering or pivoting, pivoting around the aspect of tuvoi, which is synonymous which is with his mitziusoi, or his presence. This is what we see. Therefore, we begin to understand that when you talk about God's attributes, you're really talking about only one either Tuvoi, his benevolence, or the absence of his benevolence. There is no other Mido in terms of the Rebbeinu relationship to the Bria. And even if you begin to see others, it's only in the sense of his presence of his Tuvoi or the absence of his Tuvoi. This is the way the Nevroim experience the Rebbeinu Therefore, if you see the Tuvoi, the presence of, of, of his goodness, that of course is the essential attribute of God. When you see the absence of Tuvoi, that itself is ultimately for the good. The reason why the Rebbe Shalom will absent this Tuvoi is itself only for Tuvoi. In other words, that if the God hides his presence, that man should have a test. That itself is that when God finally gives Tuvoi to man, as a result of man's accomplishments on the test, that Tuvoi, of course, will be experienced without embarrassment. So one sees that even the absence of Tuvoi of the Rabbi Shalom is ultimately for Tuvoi. Therefore, we come to the conclusion, of course, that all the attributes of God are basically one. Either it's presence of Tuvoi of goodness or the absence of goodness, which of course ultimately bring the, the creations to Tuvoi Bishlemus in a perfect way. That's the concept called Yichud Midoisov the complete, absolute unity of all the attributes of God. And I've indicated uh, not only the attributes, what are the fundamental attributes, but of course a statement that they are all fundamentally one. Now, that was the first question. The next question that was asked was, what is the structure of these midas, of these attributes? And uh, the idea that was presented that the structure of these midas is basically that chesed or kindness exists on the right side and I'll explain right side of what the gvura which is of course strength, the attribute of strength exists on the left side or is depicted on the left side and teferis which is the mediating attribute, it's a mediating midah of course exists in the center which is where it should be because it's really in between it's a, in between chesed and gvura it's a midah, a disposition that partializes, that makes possible chesed and gvur to operate in the sense that both partially are fulfilled. That is the structure of the midas. The third question which I had asked was what is the significance of this arrangement? The fact that the Rebbe has these three midas and the, the way they are displayed, what is the significance of this 
particular kind of structure or configuration? And the answer to that, of course, is one of the most profound principles in all Yiddishkeit, and that is that the totality of the attributes of God and the actions of God, both his midos and his pulos, the totality, the configuration of these attributes and actions is called Odum Kadmoin, first man or original man. And uh, the idea, of course, was that the Rabbanishnam, who is not knowable, has revealed himself to be understood in a certain way. And that way is called Odum Kadmoin. And Odum Kadmoin is the totality of all these attributes and actions. In other words, Odum Kadmoin is the guise of man. It's the design of man. In other words, the design or the, the, the appearance of a man <clears throat> is really a concept. It's an idea of which man happens to resemble, which I'll get into. But the essential idea <clears throat> is that Odum Kadmoin is this guise of the Rabbanishlam as he appears to Nevroim. So therefore, that is synonymous with the idea called Mus Odom, the appearance or likeness of a man, Suras Odom, the form of a man. In other words, this idea of Odom Kadman, as I said, is really a concept. And the way the Rabbanishlam appears, or his guise to Nevroim, is this idea of Odom Kadman. And not, of course, Chas Vashom, that the Rabbanishlam is a man in any way. But the idea is that when the Rebbeim revealed himself to the Bria, he revealed himself in a certain kind of personality structure, and that personality structure is called Adam Kadmon. And in Adam Kadmon, or rather through Adam Kadmon, in that particular personality structure, that's the way he reveals himself to the Bria. And the fact that the Rebbeim relates with the universe, the created universe, in that form that is independent of man's true. Uh, physiology and anatomy. Whether man looks the way he does or looks like something else, the Rabbanishlam appears to the Bria as an Adam Kadman. In other words, the concept of Adam Kadman is independent, really, of the concept of man's form himself. This is the important idea that that uh, was explained in the previous shurim. So that sort of answers the question of what is the significance of this arrangement, of this particular kind of configuration of the Rebbein Shalom's midas and pu'ulois, attributes and his actions, and the answer to that was, of course, that this is called Odum Kadmon, and that is the way he reveals himself to the Bria. In other words, this Odum Kadmon is the prototype of which uh, man is merely formed in that particular kind of image. In other words, as I explained previously, when the Rebbein appears to the Bria, if you had to identify the Rebbeinu as a particular nivra, okay, then you would say that he most resembles an invisible man because the Rebbeinu thinks, he communicates, he reasons, he has knowledge, he has memory, he has he has attributes, anger, uh, love, mercy, compassion, and so on. Uh, so therefore, we would identify the Rebbeinu if we had to point at him and say what does he resemble most in this physical universe. We would say he resembles a man. That's what the idea of Odom Kadmon is, that this idea of man, this totality of attributes, is the Odom Kadmon, and this is the way the Rebbeinu reveals himself to the Bria. And I would mentioned previously, in terms of why God reveals himself in this particular dmus, or appearance or likeness, is unknown. But the fact is that he does, and this is what he revealed himself to us, and I would mentioned that in the Maisim Rekova, 
that God is metamorphosized as an Odom on top of the chariot. That's the idea of Odom Kadmai. Now, question four. The fourth question which I had asked is how does man relate to this structure? Okay, we know that the configuration of the attributes of the Rabbanishlam is that of an Odom Kadmoin. How does man supposed to relate to, to that structure? Because obviously, that is the, the, uh, the uh, applicability to man, that man would relate to that structure in some way. And the answer to that is that basically, essentially, what has to be is that man must be You have to imitate, you have to emulate his ways. Okay? Uh, as the Ramam says. To imitate, to personify the Rabbani Shalom's ways. Which of course means both the attributes of God, the Midas, and the actions of God, his Pulos. Both of these ideas must be imitated or personified by a man. In other words, that this idea of Odom Kadmoin, <clears throat> man has to coincide with this concept of Odom Kadmoin, which is the personality guise of the Rabbani Shalom, the way he appears to the Bria. So therefore, man has to coincide with this particular uh, uh, personality of the Rabbani Shalom. In other words, he has to resemble this Odom Kadmoin completely. This is the idea of a Holach to and that is the application of the concept of Odom Kadmon, of course, to the Nevroim. And that is why we find Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, each one, of course, intensely taking one meter, even though they had all the meters. Avram intensely had his Avoid had Chesed, Yitzchak had Gevura, and Yaakov had Tiferes. Because, of course, the main idea was that they have to resemble the Rebbeinshim completely. And there are certain other ideas which I'll talk about when I get into Yitzchak in terms of the others. Now, therefore, we come to the conclusion that what man has to do is that he has to be mashlam. He has to fulfill, complete, perfect this Odom Kadmoin. In other words, we know that the body itself, the human body, is a physical manifestation of the design of the Odom Kadmoin. In other words, if Odom Kadmoin was manifested or expressed itself in physical terms, it would look exactly like the physiology and anatomy of a human being. That's the metaphor, the human metaphor, or the physical metaphor for the Odom Kadmoin of the Rabbanishlam, which is an entire different idea, or rather it's for another shear, exactly the resemblance and so on. But we do know that man already automatically resembles partially the Rabbanishlam's Odom Kadmoin or his, his Dmus. Because his physical body is a really a, a, a manifestation or expression of that Odom Kadmon, which of course is the guise of the Rabbani Shlom. And we know that the body completely in all its anatomical structure and its functioning is nothing more than a composite of all the attributes and actions of God. In other words, man is really a mini model of, of the entire Bria. Therefore, man has to be mashed on that because not only is he physically resemble the entire universe and the Rabbanishlam but man's actions and his dispositions if he acts upon that if he adopts the Midas and the Pu'ulis the attributes and the acts of God then what happens is he completes the resemblance to Adam Kadmoin because not only does he look like Adam Kadmoin in a physical way right he also acts like Adam Kadmoin because he is emulating or personifying the Midas of the Rabbanishlam.
right, his, his attributes, and the actions of the Rebbe Islam, his actions. Therefore, a man has to uh, successfully resemble completely the Odom Kadmon, and he does that by uh, by imitating the ways of the Rebbe Islam. And therefore, as a result of that, he is completely mashlam, he completely perfects his deficient image Right, because he's created as a partial Adam Kadmon physically, and he has to complete that idea by actually emulating or acting in the manner that Adam Kadmon acts. And Adam Kadmon, of course, being the guise of the Rabbanishlam. Therefore, when all is said and done, when man finishes the Avoidah, if he finishes, which of course he never does, but uh, certainly as he proceeds on it, he resembles Adam Kadmon more and more, not only physically, but in terms of the actual uh, behavior of Odom Kadmon. And this is the, the essential ideal concept in terms of the others emulating the Rabbani Islam, and of course in terms of all Jews emulating the Rabbani Islam. Of course, what's important to add is that when we speak about being mashlam, the Odom Kadmon, that each individual has to emulate and personify, and not only does he do that, of course, in terms of his physical manifestation, right? But also in the way, the way he behaves, so therefore he is a total Odom Kadman. Each Jew, of course, contributes uniquely to the completion of the Shlemus of Odom Kadman because each Jew has a different task. He is assigned a specific role or specific area where he's massacring the Bria, and therefore he is created in his set. He is created in that set. No, he's created with the exact dispositions, midas, and the exact potentialities, and the exact situation where he's born, in other words, in order to enable him to massacre and to correct the aspect of the Bria that needs correction. Only he uniquely can do so. Therefore, in that sense, Odom Kadmoin consists of the totality of all the different tasks that are assigned to all the different Jews. Therefore, when each Jew, not only is he mashlam odom kadmon in terms of his own unique contribution, but when all Jews together are masak in the Bria, in other words, they all do what they have to do, whether it be through mitzvahs, tshuva, or yesurin, which are the three ways you can masak in the Bria, when all, Jew do, all Jews then do all three, or rather, when, when they all do it completely, then you have the hashlomo of odom kadmon completely, not only in terms of each Jew's unique contribution, but in terms of the eventual configuration or gestalt of Tikkun, as, as of course manifested by the Avedo of all Jews. That's what I just wanted to add. Now, so therefore this is the idea of Odom Kadmon and man's relationship to that Odom Kadmon, that he has to basically personify the Odom Kadmon, and as a result of that, and this is exactly, of course, what the others did. And as a result of that, there is a Shlemus in Odom Kadmon, as I said, not only in terms of each Jew's Shlemus in Odom Kadmon, resembling that Odom Kadmon, but in terms of the total contribution of all Jews, Odom Kadmon, of course, is Bishlemus. Now, the fifth question which was asked is of why are the Midas of man similar to the Benjamin? How can we find that man's attributes and his behavior and so on are so similar to God's. Well, now the answer is obvious because God created man exactly the way he relates to the Bria. Therefore, he is similar to God. The question is, is, is very simply answered. In other words, since man, since man was made in the exact same guise 
that the Rebbe appears to the Bria, namely Adam Kadmai. Therefore, as a result of that, uh, man therefore resembles the Rebbe completely. And since we know Adam Kadmai is the totality of all the attributes of God and his actions, in terms of the way we see him, as I had mentioned previously, that the Rebbe relates to the Bria as a thinking being, as a communicating being, as a being who manifests Tzedakah and Chesed and so on, also who manifests um, the attributes of, uh, of kindness and uh, anger and jealousy and so on, what we see, therefore man has the exact same ideas. But in Rabbanishtim, of course, they're all toiv. And the idea is that man has to make all these attributes also toiv, even jealousy and anger and so on. Now, therefore, this is the idea why the Midas of the man, of course, are similar to the Rabbanishtim. And uh, the reason why man was created in, in the image of God, in, in the guise that the Rebbe appears as appears to the Bria, is because the Rebbe to show the Hashivas, the importance of, that man has in terms of the central idea of the universe, that he is a central feature of the universe, the universe was created for his sake. In order to show, so therefore, to show that significance, the Rebbe out of love, created him in his exact image. Okay? Because, of course, man will be the recipient of that good. That's what it means that man is, the, of course, the, the uh, primary reason for the entire existence of all creation. So, therefore, to show him that significance, the Rebbe and uh, to, uh, to significance that he is the pivot of the entire Bria, the Rebbe of course, created him in his image, and therefore man, of course, resembles him. So, therefore, question five is answered. Now, question six was, what does Selim Lokim mean? And now we know what Selim Lokim means. The image of God is the same or synonymous with Dmus Adam, the likeness of a man, which is the exact same idea as Suras Adam, the form of a man, which is the same term as Selim Lokim, which is the same term as Adam Kadmon. All these ideas mean the image of God. And when it says, Nasa Adam B'Tzalmenu Kedmuseinu, let us make man in our image. Of course, that's what it means. That the Rebbe because of the chashivas, the importance that man has in this universe, therefore God made man in his image in order to mashlim, to complete that Adam Kadmoin. So therefore, Selim Kim means Adam Kadmoin, which of course means the totality of all the attributes and actions that is manifested to, uh, manifested to creation. In other words, that is revealed to man. And all these attributes and, uh, and, and actions that the Rebbe has in relating to the Bria, this is Adam Kadmon, which is synonymous with Selim Lokim. We have now answered all the six questions that I originally asked in the beginning of the Shurim on the attributes of the Rebbe and, uh, we And this basically is a summary of all the Shurim. And we now see, we have a good understanding of the attributes of the Rebbe his Midois, in other words, his actions or Pulois, and the relationship that man has with this, and some of the fundamental ideas of the entire configuration of the Bria, why it was set up in such a manner. And I had gone into this, even though what I'm really doing is talking about the, the Mashiach, the Messianic concept, as the pivotal or fundamental theme of all Jewish history. I had gone into the ideas of the attributes of God, because I had left off with the obvious that each one fundamentally emulated the Rebbeinu in a special way, and I wanted to go into what exactly did they emulate and why was it so important. And this was the reason why I digressed in terms of the attributes of the Rebbeinu 
So this completes basically the six questions. Now, um, I want to, however, sort of conclude the the uh, the shurum on the uh, attributes by asking several two questions. We know that there are yudgimumidus, that there are thirteen attributes of God. We know that by the eagle, when Klai Yisrael did a sin by the golden calf, by the eagle, so the Bereshim wanted to destroy Klai Yisrael. So he told Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Klai Yisrael, and then God revealed to him the thirteen attributes that he has. So the question is, we know that there are three, Chesed, Gvur, and Tferes. Why then are there thirteen? In other words, what is the relationship between the Yud Gimomidis that was revealed to Moshe, and which we say in Davening every day, and also, what is the relation between these Yud Gimomidis and the three Midis which were discussed previously? Second idea is that the Gemara says that Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said that the Rabbani Shalom appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu as a chazan in a talus, as a cantor, as a chazan in, wrapped up in a prayer shawl, which of course doesn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu saw God that way. It means that the manifestation that the Rabbani Shalom expressed himself to Moshe, and he understood that this was the way, it's like a nevius prophecy, when a prophet sees God in a certain form, like God is a man riding on a horse. For of course, God is not a man riding on a horse, but he sees him a certain way because man riding on a horse symbolizes a certain idea, and the prophetic vision, of course, tells him that idea. So, Moshe Rabbeinu perceived the Nevu, of course, the Rabbanishlam wrapped in a prayer shawl, which, of course, uh, uh, communicates to him certain concepts about the Rabbanishlam. And, he's, and the Rabbanishlam said to Moshe, in that guise, and he said to him, uh, the Yud Gimomidis, the 13 attributes of the Rabbani Shalom. And he said to him that whenever the Jews sin, let them perform before me this particular arrangement of these 13 attributes. And I will, uh, I will pardon them. I'll forgive them. So the question of course is, why is it that if you say the Yud Kimomidis, God is Merchel you? It doesn't sound, it, it seems to be a very easy form of, uh, of Mechila, of getting a Kapora, in terms of the fact that you just say it and God, of course, forgives you. So these are two questions which I want to ask concerning the Yud Gimomidis. Therefore, now, the uh, answer to that is that the truth is that when we say there are 13 Midis, 13 attributes, the truth is that there are not 13 different attributes. They are really all aspects of Tuvoi. That's all they are. If you, if you remember the 13 attributes, Hashem, Hashem, Kil, Rachm, Rechanum, Rechapan, Rafchaz, Ve'emes, and so on, uh, that all of them are different manifestations. They are different expressions of Tuvoi, of benevolence. In other words, there are different situations in which Tuvoi is manifested. That's all they are. But really, what are they all? They are all Tuvoi. In other words, they're the aspect of the Mid of Tiferes, which means the, the uh, revelation or the giving to man of the benevolence of the Rabbani Shlodim in different situations, at different times and so on, these are the Yud Gimomidis. So the Yud Gimomidis are really one in terms of Tuvoi in different situations, and these of course are really all embodied in the idea of Tiferes. So that it really answers the first question. The second idea 
that uh, what Rabbi Yochanan said, that when Rabbi Yochanan said, Yasu lefonai keseda zeh, let them perform before me this seda, and therefore I will be merchel with them. So the question, of course, is why just by saying it will the Rabbi Yochanan be merchel? Interestingly enough, it says, the Rabbi Yochanan says to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, not yimru lefonai, let them say before me this seda hazeh, but yasu lefonai, let, let them perform this uh, say that these midas. So therefore, God forgives Christ for all, or He activates all these thirteen attributes when we emulate those thirteen attributes. The same idea. In other words, in response to man's or particularly Christ's emulating or personifying the Yud Gimomidas, therefore God, in response, activates or exhibits those Yud Gimomidas to Christ's when they are in need of them. For instance, when they sin. In other words, we have the idea called. Mida connected Mida, a measure for a measure, an act for an act, that since Klai Yisrael exhibits those Yudjimamidas, therefore justice demands that God act to them in accordance with those Yudjimamidas. So therefore, that is the idea why the Rabbani Shalom forgives Klai Yisrael for, uh, when, when they exhibit the Midas, not when they say the Midas. Now, the Yud Gimomidis themselves are too extensive to be treated here. Actually, one can go into each one. But that's why I just wanted to finish off by saying um, that um, in terms of the Yud Gimomidis, how they relate to the three Midis, which I have said, that they are really different expressions of Tuvoi in different situations. And so what you're really looking at is Teferis, beauty, which is the last Mida, really in different situations or different forms. And that's really what the Yud Gimamidis are. And that Klai Yisrael Zeicha, that the Rebbe Shalom is, relates to them through Yud Gimamidis, when they, of course, emulate God, when they themselves perform the Yud Gimamidis. So therefore, it's Midi Keneged Mida. In other words, they deserve that God acts to them through the Yud Gimamidis, through Din. In other words, they deserve it through the attribute of, of justice, not only because the Rebbe Shalom is a Merachim to them, uh, without the concept of Din. Now, since I'm mentioning this, I want to mention one more idea. And that is that when the Rebbe told Moshe Rabbeinu that he wanted to destroy Israel, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, prayed, the, the Rebbe in truth, did not want to destroy Israel. What the idea there was that it was a supreme test for Moshe Rabbeinu as a manik, as a ruler. And Moshe Rabbeinu understood that. It's like by Avram Avinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm going to destroy Sodom, should I not tell Avram what I'm going to do? Since when does the Rebbe inform Avram of everything he does? But the idea is that Avram had to know because Avram in that case had an Isoyim. Should he, to what extent would he exercise his meat of chesed, even to pray for people who are very obviously great sinners? So therefore the Rebbe expresses to an individual what he's about to do, not necessarily because he wants to do that, because somehow it forms an isoyan for the individual who he expresses it to. And that individual has to understand that through the Russian that God uh, tells him. Somehow the Russian gives him the hint of what he really is doing. And in the case of Avram, he really wanted to destroy Sodom. So what he wanted of Avram is, what Avram pray for Sodom? To what extent would he uh, act on chesed? By Moshe Rabbeinu, what the Rabbanu said is, Hanicheni leave me up, that I may destroy them. So Moshe Rabbeinu understood that if I don't leave, so Moshe Rabbeinu understood that if you do not leave me up, 
Now, it's what Mershom told Mershom Rabbein was, say nothing, don't talk to me, and let me destroy Klai Yisrael. So the fact Mershom Rabbein understood that if God tells him not to say anything, don't bother me, in other words, leave me, let me be, therefore if you don't let me be, I won't destroy Klai Yisrael. So the, the, the test of Mershom Rabbein was that as a new leader, because the golden calf was mamish right after Yitzhiya's Mishraim, would Moshe Rabbeinu, to what extent would he extend his, himself to save Klai Yisrael? Even though the Rabbi said to him, I will make you an Ummah, and what the Rabbi was really saying to Moshe Rabbeinu was, is that I will change the Masakin concept, now not it won't be the children of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, but your children, even though you still come Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, but it will now I will single out your children as the new Masakin, which is the whole idea of what the Brisbane Absurdum was. So Moshe Rabbeinu understood that, that that was his Nisoyen, and of course he came completely in defense of Klai Yisrael. And he said, Mecheni no, of course, erase me from your sefer. He wasn't interested in he being the Masakin or his descendants. He wanted Klai Yisrael, of course, to be the Masakin, which of course was complete devotion and dedication to the, to the, uh, to the uh, Klai Yisrael, the people that he was leading. So this is what the Rebbe tested Avram, to what extent would he <coughs> be devoted as a true money. And Moshe Rabbeinu understood that because of the Lushan of the leave me. But if you don't leave me, if you pray for them, I won't. So Moshe Rabbeinu understood that there was a Pesach, there was an opening to pray for Klai Yisrael, because that is exactly what the Rebbe wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to do, was to pray for Klai Yisrael. And of course, as after that, the Rebbe revealed to him the Yud Gimomidus, the 13 attributes, that if Klai Yisrael emulates those 13 attributes, then they can always be saved from, from destruction. This is the idea I just want to mention, Agav, in terms of the Yud Gimomidus. Now, <coughs> we, see, we see so far the idea of the relationship of these Yud Gimomidus to the three Midas, which is Chesed, Gvur, and Tferes, and also we see on what schus the Rebbe activates the Yud Gimomidis. Okay, we've seen that. And we've seen also that the Yud Gimomidis, of course, was presented at a time of a great Nisayin to Moshe Rabbeinu. That he had to understand to pray for Klai Yisrael. Now, <coughs> to, uh, just to further uh, emphasize that the gematria, the numerical value of Echod, 13, Dalit is 4, Ches is 8, and Aleph, of course, is 1, is equal to 13. So the Yud Gimomidis, the Midis are 13, which is exactly equivalent to the numerical value of 1, to show that all Midis are 1, that even though they look like 13, but essentially, of course, that all the attributes are really 1, as I have said, that all the Midis of the Rebbeinu is really 2 void, and in different situations, 2 in different situations, and even if it be an, is, is nothing more than Yud Gimomidis. And even in the other Midas of the Rebbe in terms of the absence of Tuvoy, it's only ultimately to bring Tuvoy or Hatova Bishlemus. So therefore, <coughs> it comes out that all the attributes and actions of God is tied up in an absolute unity of Tuvoy. And that's Marumas in the fact that Yud Gimel is really Gematria of Echad. Also, that if you combine all the letters of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, you will see that there are 13 letters. Which tells us also that the combined totality of all the others, okay, the combined totality of the Avedah, the work of all the others, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, equals the Midas of the Rebbe Shalom. That they as a three group, a group of three, 
uh, unified and completed the Odom Kadmoim because each one worked independently and intensively on one particular aspect. So therefore, therefore, the, the amount of letters in Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov equals 13 to tell us that the totality of the Avodah of Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov as three together equals the Midas of the Rabbani Shalom, which of course is Odom Kadmon. That's also another interesting remez in terms of the Midas of the Rabbani Shalom. And in terms of the last, the last idea in terms of the Midas of the Rabbani Shalom, that there are 12 tribes, but Yosef really is Menashe and Ephraim, so again you have 13 tribes, same idea that the combined totality of the Avoid of all the Shvatim, again, is the complete <coughs> Midas and the behavior and attributes of the Rabbani Shalom. In other words, that the Avoid of all 13 tribes taken as one is equal to the totality of the concept called Odom Kadmon. And this, again, is what I had mentioned previously, that the combined Avoida of each Jew in each unique area that he has the Masakin, the combined, combined to totality equals the, the totality of Odom Kadmon. So we see it as manifested in the fact that the Ovas have 13 letters Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, so therefore their combined totality of Avoida equals the Yud Gimomidus, <coughs> which is the, the uh, idea, of course, of the uh, the uh, Midas of the Bershom, which is Adam Kadman, and the 13 tribes, okay, which, and that's really what they are, again is also their combined totality in terms of the Avoidah equals to the totality of Adam Kadman, which is the totality of the Midas of the Bershom. Therefore, in the end, <coughs> the Ovis and all Klai Yisrael is mashlam the Odom Kadmon, so therefore it comes out that all Jews literally resemble the Rabbani Shalom in terms of their physical structure, both in anatomically and physiologically, and also in terms of the behavior, that the complete revelation that the Rabbani Shalom has to the Bria, his guise of Odom Kadmon, there's a complete coincidence with Klai Yisrael to that Odom Kadmon, and that is really the entire tachas of the Bria. I would like to close off the topic of the attributes and the actions of the Rabbani Shalom with this idea. In Shemona Esri we say, Hokel Hagorl God, the Great, the Mighty, and the Awesome. When we describe the Rabbani Shalom in the Shemona Esri, in the first Brocho, it can only be obviously in terms of his Midois or attributes, or that guise or identity that he reveals himself to us through. Therefore, Hagorl in the Shemona Esrei refers to the Mid of Chesed. Gedula, as mentioned previously, is another word for Chesed. Hagibor refers to the Mid or attribute of Gvura. And Haneiro, awesomeness, refers to the Mid of Teferas, because through Teferas, the universe can be created, maintained, and the Neuroes, the awesomeness of the Rabbani Shlom, can be truly demonstrated, and consequently observed and perceived by man. Thus, the three fundamental midos of the Rabbani Shlolem is the way Hashem is praised and worshipped by us in our prayers in the tefillah. We have spoken about many different ideas in the previous shurim. The beginning shurim, we spoke about the ideas or what transpired with Adam Rishon, what transpired with Hevel and Cain. Then after that, we spoke about the events of Yosef and Yehuda, what transpired with those individuals. Then we spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jews in Egypt. 
and also what was the some of the ideas in terms of the true significance of Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. In addition, we then went into the spiritual concepts concerning the two Mashiachim. In other words, what are some of the ideas in terms of the Ruchnius or the spiritual framework of the Mashiachim, and what are the relationships of these ideas with the physical Mashiachim, those two individuals who are truly the Mashiach ben Yosef and the Mashiach ben David. Then, what we did, we saw that their tasks are really those tasks which govern all human history. In other words, that the governing or determining principles of all human history or events are the tasks of the Mashiachim. After that, we proceeded in terms of the essential ideas about Avraham Avinu, and then we proceeded in terms of understanding some of the concepts and the structure of these concepts underlying the term of or patriarch. What does this term really mean, especially in terms of Judaism? Then after that, we talked about some of the attributes and the actions of the Rabboni Shlolem and what are the meaning of, meaning of these ideas. Also, we talked about the notion or the concept of Tzalem Lakim and also how these midos and pu'ulis of the Rabboni Shlolem, how these attributes and actions of God, of course, how they are emulated and personified by the Ovis. This is what we had done so far until now. Now, to further continue to understand the basic theme or the plot of human events as they are determined by the two Mashiachim, this is basically, of course, our goal throughout this entire year. Now, as such, before I begin or before I continue, I'd like to mention that so far, just as a summary, that there basically has been three objectives to these shiurim. And that is that the first objective, or the first goal of the shir, was to continue to describe the events concerning the two Mashiachim. Those, those actual uh, um, kind of incidents that involved the two Mashiachim, and also the attempts by the Mashiachim and of course, together with Klai Yisrael, because Klai Yisrael shares the tasks of the two Mashiachim, and to understand their attempts with Klai Yisrael, and also the Rabboni Shalom's attempts to masakin, to correct or to rectify the two necessary or required tikkunim of creation, which of course we know is the kilku and the chasan of creation. This we had discussed previously. And what we attempted, the objective, of course, is to see how these things transpire throughout history. And as I had mentioned, that these, of course, ideas, the actual attempt of the Mashiachim and Klai Yisrael to bring the Tikkunim to the Bria, of course, and also the attempt of the Rabbanishlam to bring the Moshe Mashiach, this is basically the determining principle of all history. Now, the second objective of which uh, what we have been trying to accomplish here is basically to learn and to understand Tanakh, Turn of Yim and the Fipashtus. In other words, according to the obvious theme or the obvious plot, the plain or the simple meaning of the text, this is what we have been trying to do. In other words, the outward shot, the external ideas of the Torah, and this is the Chitzenis. And also, as a, at the same time, what we have been trying to do is to perceive the inner or the internal or the panemius theme or plot in the Torah. In other words, what constitutes the true or the real theme, the real understanding of the design, the plot or the story 
which is uh, hidden in the Torah, this internal weave or thread. Now, this fundamental principle, and this is important to know, in seeing the inner theme in the Torah is to realize a certain idea, and that is that the same words which are used in Tanakh, the same phrases which are used to expose or to indicate the plain meaning or the story, that these words and phrases which are used in Tanakh are also used simultaneously to reveal the plain meaning, or rather, to reveal the internal or concealed theme. And of course, they do this by serving either as remosm, as allusions to what is really going on, the true underlying hidden theme, or sometimes, rather strikingly, in the open, they actually tell you what the internal theme is. So this is, of course, the second objective that we have been trying to do is to real, realize or to understand the external ideas or the theme and the internal theme or the design of all creation at the same time. Now, a third objective which we have been trying to do is to understand statements by Chazal. Whether these statements be found in Medrashim, whether it be found in the Agadeto, which of course is in the Gemara, or wherever they may be found. In other words, anywhere else. What we are trying to do is understand these statements both in their plain meaning in their plain, simple sense, in other words, the outwardly or the chitzonist understanding of the statements of Chazal. And what we have also been trying to do is to understand the statements of Chazal in their concealed or hidden inner meaning. In other words, the true internal pshat that is indicated in Chazal. The inward understanding or the pshat pnimis the inward understanding, the uh, internal ideas. This is what we have also been trying to understand in Chazal. Now, interestingly enough, of course, the same principle that applies to Tanakh, Teir Ksuvim, which the Rabbani Shalom, of course, has wrote to his Nevi'im, the same, same principle applies to Chazal, those statements of Chazal. And what is that? That the same words or phrases which are used homiletically by Chazal, in their statements, the same phrases or words which reveals the plain meaning is used simultaneously to reveal the inner concealed meaning of the true internal theme. And of course, this is the seed or the secret that Chazal, of course, have to reveal to us. And of course, this is understood either as remosm, as illusions, and sometimes it's realized opening in pshat. Now, these three objectives is what we have been trying to do for all these shurun. Besides understanding the content of Hashkofa, we have been trying to understand both Tanakh and Chazal, both inwardly and outwardly. And we begin to see, of course, that there are both inward and outward meanings constantly in Chazal. What we begin to see, very interestingly enough, is an important methodological concept. And this concept, of course, arises from our studying of Chazal and also Tanakh. And that is, we begin to see that when the Torah or Chazal, when the Rabbani Shalom or Chazal want to reveal any of the Asidus, those fundamental principles or Asidus, those secrets of the internal design of creation, then what seems to be is that there is a peculiar treatment or there is a very peculiar kind of manner of presentation that either the Rabbani Shalom or Chazal employ in order to indicate to us 
these internal Yasidis of the internal design of creation. What is that? Now, we know that the repository of all Hashkofa principles of the internal structure of the design of creation lies in Tanakh. And interestingly enough, what the Rabbani Shalom did, because he wanted it to be hidden from men, at least they have to work for it in order to understand it, is that he took these fundamental principles and he closed, he disguised them in the text. He disguised it by the plain meaning of the text. That is one way he hid it or disguised it, these fundamental ideas. The second way he hid these fundamental ideas in Tanakh is by various misholem or metaphors. He actually clothed or disguised the true interpretation, the true meanings or fundamental principles of creation in metaphors, as we find many times in the Torah. A third way the Rabbani Shalom hid that which, of course, is fundamental and basic to understanding the actual design of all creation is in the various Midas. And the Midas, of course, are the Yudgimu Midas or the exegetical principles from which we derive different halachas and different drushas. This is the way the Rabbani Shalom hid those fundamental ideas, those esoteric or concealed ideas from mankind and also from the Jews. And what the Rabbani Shalom wanted, of course, is that these ideas should be communicated not in a rabbim or public way, but rather from one individual to the next, but that's another kind of discussion. In any case, this is the way the Rabbani Shalom hid it. In other words, the pshat, the plain meaning of the Tanakh itself, actually is a lavush, it's a guise for those Yesidis, for these fundamental principles which determine all creation. Now, that is the first way the Rabbani Shalom hid it. The second way he hid it, in other words, the first way he hid it is by clothing or disguising them in various midas, uh, exegetical principles, metaphors, misholem, and even in the plain pshat or the plain meaning of the text. The second way the Rabbani Shalom hid those fundamental ideas is that what he did is he presented those ideas in an illogical sequence. It's not logically sequential. In other words, idea number one does not go first and then idea number two. You could find idea number eight going first and then idea number one going fourth or whatever. So therefore it's very difficult to figure out what exactly is going on. In other words, there is a non-logical sequence of the fundamental ideas of the internal design of the Bria. This is the second way the Rabbani Shalom hid these ideas. The second, the, or rather the third way that the Rabbani Shalom hid these fundamental principles is that not only did he clothe or guise them in different uh, ways, not only did he present them in an illogical sequence, I don't mean illogical, but rather the sequence is not proper, but what the Rabbani Shalom also did is he scrambled he disorganized all these ideas into many different separate sections throughout Tanakh. In other words, you could find several ideas which really are related to one topic spread all over Tanakh. You could have one in the second one of course can be in Vayikra and so on. So therefore he disorganized or he scrambled these ideas all over Tanakh. And that is the third way the Rabbani Shalom hid those fundamental ideas. So therefore we see that the presentation of fundamental principles or principles that this is actually presented in such a way where the internal design of creation by the Rabbani Shalom in Tanakh of course is completely hidden in one of three, these three ways now as such we begin realizing that there are basically two levels of learning Torah 
The first level or level one is what's called Pshat Niglo, Pshat Chitsoni. In other words, the open or the obvious Pshat or meaning of the Tanakh, the external meaning of Tanakh. And of course, this of course is intended uh, for most Jews in order to understand, of course, the laws of the Rabbanu Shalom and some of the ideas of what is transpiring in the Bria. However, this basically is intended for only those several few who can actually understand level 2, or rather I should say, now, besides the fact that there is a level 1, there is also a second level, and this is what becomes obvious to us now. And this level, of course, is Pshat Nisto, the Pshat Pnimi, or the internal ideas or the internal theme of what's really going on, of course, in Tanakh. And if we are talking about halachas, of course, what the underlying principle which determine all halachas. Now, interestingly enough, in order to understand this Pshat Nista, this hidden theme of the Torah, or these hidden rules or fundamental principles of the Torah, this demands an actual knowledge of the inner principles themselves and, of course, their structure or the relationships between themselves in order to understand the Pshat Nista in the first place. In other words, in order to understand Pshat Nista, the actual hidden meaning or the hidden theme of the Torah, one actually has to have a knowledge of those inner principles initially in order to even enter that portal. Now, so the, in other words, before one can even figure out the further principles in the Torah, one already has to have certain initial principles in order to figure the further principles out. Now, you may ask them, where does one get this initial yesedis or fundamental ideas in order to begin to delve into the second level of Torah, which of course is the hidden or concealed meaning or theme in the Torah? Why? Since even these first principles cannot be gotten from simply learning Torah. So then if that's the case, where does one even approach or understand these first ideas? And the answer to that, of course, is by learning Hashkofa as a study in itself. When one studies Hashkofa, then one gets an understanding of certain first initial principles, and from that he is able to delve further into Tanakh and understand the concealed, the hidden theme or the plot of what is really taking place in terms of the fundamental principles of all creation. Now we see why, of course, the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim is so important to learn, and why it's so important to master his system. Because they provide the necessary first internal principles which will help us to begin to work and truly understand Chazal itself and the very Torah itself. Now, what was said about the Torah, in other words, what was said concerning the methodological principles about the revelation of principles or Yusidis in the Torah is also true of Chazal. What does that mean? We know that the repository of all statements, all ideas, or all the internal principles by Chazal on the internal design, the theme or the actual internal structure of creation, we know that these things are found in the Agadatah, in Shas, and that they are also found, of course, in the Midrashim. Now, here too is important to note that they are concealed in the same manner as by the Torah. What does that mean? That the first idea or the first manner of their concealment is that these Yesidis, they are disguised, they are guised or clothed in the actual statements or the mamorum of the Chazal themselves by the plain meaning or rather the simple meaning of the statement. In addition that they are also guised or clothed 
in the sense that they are concealed in metaphors, Mishalom. This is the first way, of course, that the Torah, or rather the Chazal in this instance, conceals the actual fundamental principles of the internal design. Either they are disguised by the plain or simple meaning, or they are concealed in Mishalom, or metaphors. The second way that they are concealed is that the Yisraelis themselves, even though they are clothed or disguised, they are sequenced in, in an illogical pattern. In other words, there is an illogical sequence of the Yisraelis in Chazal itself. Even when they bother telling it to you, and of course these ideas of course are disguised in general, but you would think at least that they should be in a logical sequence, but the answer is, the truth is that they are not. They are presented in an illogical sequence. Now, the third way that Chazal conceal is that these ideas or hidden principles are fragmented. They are disorganized in thousands of different various places or thousands of various drushes all over Shas and Midrash. In other words, instead of all the related ideas or principles being in one Masechta, for instance, or one parrot, we find all the ideas spread all, all through Shas and Medrash. So you can find the same idea or a similar idea in Masech the Shabbos, and the next time you may encounter an idea which is very similar to it, or part of that area, is Masech the Nida. Therefore we see that the third way Chazal concealed there the internal principles, of course, is by disorganizing it, fragmenting it, in all the thousands of various drushes all over Shas and the Midrash. Now, we see, very interestingly enough, that Chazal imitated the Torah in its manner, in their manner of presenting the Yisraelis. They actually duplicated or imitated the Torah's methodology. In other words, that all concealed in various ways, that all these principles are concealed in different ways or different patterns. In this way, they imitated the Torah. And actually, there's a famous statement that says, Kol man rabonin. Everything that the Rabbonim, the rabbis, the Chazal enacted, came derisatikun is similar to the way the Torah made the same enactment. And we can actually say the same thing, that the exact same way the Torah concealed the internal principles to that exact pattern and method, the Chazal also imitated it. So we can apply that Kolmandi Tikkun Rabon, Kein also applies to the methodological procedure of how they concealed internal principles. Now, therefore, by Chazals also, as a result of the previous uh, aforementioned, we also see that there are two levels of understanding in every Maimah Chazal. One is the Pshat Nigla, or the Pshat Chitzoni, that which is the apparent Pshat, or meaning of the text. The second level of understanding, of course, which is the more profound and deeper, is called Pshat Nisto Opnimi, the hidden or concealed meaning of what the Maimah really says. Now, to be carefully understood, in other words, in order to decipher this second level, one needs an initial knowledge of principles of the internal design, which of course is concealed. And one of course has to have a knowledge of the relationships among these principles, or rather the structure. Now, how can this be gotten? And the answer is it can only be gotten from a conscientious effort and study at Hashkofa itself. That again is why Chazal, is, or rather, that is again why the Rav Moshe Chaim Ratzatoy, the Ramchal, is so important. Because he offers uniquely a comprehensive 
properly organized and then it's of course properly sequenced. In other words, all the ideas are in the same area and they are of course in a logical sequence. In addition, a structured and well-defined conceptual framework or system of these underlying principles of Ashkafa. That is what the Ramchal offers and that's why he's so important really to engage in in a serious way. In addition, the system of the Ramchal, of course, is authoritative. Why? Since it interprets and explains the Kabbalah Sari. Because actually, the system of Moshe Chaim Ratzate, of course, is based par excellence, of course, on the Kabbalah of the Ari himself. And as such, of course, the Kabbalah Sari is the true internal system of all creation. Now, this idea, or rather this methodological principle, which I have just mentioned, both in Chazal, and also both in the Torah, of having a Pshat Nigla and a Pshat Nista. The first idea. The second idea is that this Pshat Nigla and this Pshat Nista is actually uh, contained in the same text. And the third idea is that the manner in which the inner Pshat is concealed, those three ways which I have mentioned, both in the Sukkim of the Torah and also by the Chazal in their homiletical statements, is really alluded to in this mimer of the Chazal. In other words, in this mimer of the Chazal, which I'm going to say now, it really alludes to exactly the methodological principle itself. And interestingly enough, as we shall see, that this itself is hidden in this very mimer. Not only are the principles hidden, but the actual Chazal, which tells you the methodological principle itself is hidden. How do we see this? The Gemara in Bava Basra says that Shivrei Luchos Menochon Bi'oran. What does that mean? We know that the first Luchos were broken by Moshe Rabbeinu at the Chet of the Eagle. We know that Klai Yisrael, of course, didn't deserve the Luchos Rishonos. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the sin of the Golden Calf, he broke the first Luchos. Now, after that, the Luchas Achroinus were given. In other words, there was a later pair of Luchas which were given to Klai Yisrael. And we know that these second Luchas were kept in the Oran HaKodesh. Now, Chazal say in this Maimon in Baba Basra that what happened to the Shivrei Luchas Vishonis, what happened to these original broken shards of the first Luchas? So Chazal say they are also kept in the Oran. Shivrei Luchas Munochem Bi'Oran. They are also kept in the Oran. And Rashi very interestingly says that these shvarim, they were located underneath the luchas achroinus. In other words, you had the luchas achroinus, and then on the bottom of the oran, which obviously were concealed by these luchas achroinus, you had the shivri luchas rishonus. This is the Gemara, and this is what Rashi says. Now, we can ask, other than the plain, simple idea, which Chazal seemed to be saying, which is some kind of interesting historical fact, that by the way, what happened to the Luchas Vishonis, those shvarim, those broken pieces, they happened to be also in the Orna Kodesh. What are Chazal really saying? To apply, of course, the philosophy, of course, of, 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 uh, of uh, learning, that whenever Chazal says something, there's always two levels. So the question of understanding. So the question is, what really is Chazal saying? Are they merely saying some kind of interesting historical fact? some kind of interesting footnote after the event of Shvira, that by the way, whatever happened to those original Luchas, they happened to be also in the Orna Kodesh. Or are they rather revealing some kind of profound concept? And the answer, of course, is that they are, of course, revealing a profound concept, which I shall demonstrate. Now, we know that the repository of all internal principles, the 
storage place of all themes, internal themes, of course, lies in the Torah. Okay? And, of course, these, of course, are concealed. Now, let's take a look at those three components of that Maimah. We know there's an Oran, we know there's Luchas Achroinus, the second pair of Luchas, and we know there's Luchas Vishrinus, the first pair of Luchas. Now, these are three things which, are, of course, are mentioned by that Chazal, that particular Maimah. Now, let's take a look at each one, and we will see that each term, each thing, really represents metaphorically some aspect of Torah. Take a look at the Oran. The Oran, of course, is visible to man. As such, the Oran is the vehicle or the visible medium, that expressive mode of how Torah is revealed or communicated to man. In other words, how is a Torah express itself to man? How do we see the actual ideas of Torah? And the answer is we see it in the letters, the words, the phrases, the sentences, which of course constitute the language, and we see it in the parchment and the ink. These things, the language, the parchment, and the ink, of course, is the expressive mode of how the Torah reveals its ideas. That, of course, is metaphorically represented by the Oran, which is visible to man, just like the Oran is visible to man. Now, let's take a look at the second entity or thing, which is the Luchas, uh, luchas Achroinus, the second pair of Luchas. This metaphorically resents, uh, represents the second form of Torah, Okay, which means that Torah is in the form of a script for our or the task. In other words, when Torah wants to tell us what the task of man is, this is represented by the second luchas, because on the luchas there are mitzvahs, correct? So obviously, the fact that you have second luchas represents Torah, or the ideas of Torah, in terms of their purpose to explain to man what his task or avoda is. This, of course, these second luchas are representative of the Torah that we now have. Now, let's take a look at the first luchas, the luchas rishonis, what are they? These luchas rishonis, of course, are the first form of Torah, as the underlying framework of all creation. In other words, what the luchas rishonis really were was the orishon, that orpnimi, which was revealed to Klai Yisrael at Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah, because we know that after Mitzrayim, the Gemara says that Paskalei Zoyhamashel Nochosh that the kilkel of the Bria was removed, that poison which the uh, Sitra Achor, or that influence that evil has over the universe, was removed. There was no Zohamor. And Klai Yisrael, at the time of Matan Torah, of course, reached the level or the Madrig of Odom Rishon before the Chet. Therefore, Torah, which was given by Moshe Rabbeinu, who was, of course, the Mashiach Ben Yosef, should be in the form of the Opnimi. Therefore, the Luchas Rishonis were really Torah as exhibited or as expressed or as revealed in terms of the Opnimi. That Torah which would reveal all the intrinsic internal principles of all creation. Because the Yemaisa Mashiach was about to be ushered in, therefore that Torah was in that form. However, since the Jews did the ego, so the ego restored that Zoyamor, that poison that the Sitra Achra put into the Bria, so therefore it reinstituted his control over the universe. So therefore, the Torah is no more in the form of Pnimi, of the hidden internal principles of creation. These were broken. And then the Oran, these Shivrei, of course, Luchas Rishonis, were placed in the Oran. Now, we now see if that is the case, we now understand what each three of these things represent metaphorically. The Oran to the expressive mode of how the Torah is revealed. The Luchas Achroinus to the second form of Torah in the form, of course, of the Avoid or the task. 
And the first form of terror, the Luchas Rishonis, of course, is the terror as it appears when it reveals all the internal ideas or principles of creation. Now, we see now that both forms of this terror, whether it be the Niglo or the Chitzoni, which is represented, of course, by the second Luchas, and the form of terror, which is Nisto or Pnimi, which, of course, is represented by the first Luchas, they were both in the same container, namely the Oran. Therefore, we see that the Oran, or rather the same expressive mode or vehicle that is used for the second Luchas, is also used for the first Luchas. In other words, the same text, which metaphorically is represented by the Oran, would reveal both the outer and inner Torah. This is the first idea of that Chazal. The second idea is that the second Luchas, as said by Rashi, was on top of the first Luchas, which means that the first Luchas were concealed. In other words, the internal principles of terror or the internal principles of reality were concealed by the second luchas, or they were concealed by the external ideas of the terror. And what does that mean? Therefore, we see that if that's the case, this immediately tells us that the inner principles of terror, the hidden design, is going to be concealed by the outer principles, and both of them are going to use the same text. Now, to go further, we know also that the first luchas were broken. Now, take, if you think a moment, when you have something which is broken, a broken vessel, what does that mean? It means that the broken parts or the shvarim of this vessel is first of all spread all over the place. In other words, that the parts which belong in one section are not even together. They're spread all over, all different sections. And certainly those parts in the same section are completely illogically sequenced because that's what a broken article is. Now, we know that the first luchas were also broken. So therefore, we see the next two ways of concealment of the Torah. Not only was the first luchas concealed by the second luchas, which means that the internal principles were hidden by the first or external principles in the sense that they were clothed or guised in various ways. The second idea is that since the luchas were broken, therefore, parts of the luchas that were, should have been together, that were together and were attacking in the same section were not in the proper order. They were not sequenced, even though they were in the same section or the same part of the arm. Now, the second idea is that many parts of the luchus were completely spread out throughout the entire order. In other words, it was completely disorganized. In other words, pieces that belonged really in one section of the luchus rishonis, the first luchus, or one area, of course, was spread into other areas. We now see beautifully that the physical relationship of the arm and the two pairs of luchas, which of course were in it, coincides exactly and metaphorically with the textual and conceptual relationship of the external and the internal, uh, internal terror completely. This is what Chazal allude to when they say that the shivrei luchas are really in the Oran. They allude to these five ideas. The first idea is that just there, like there are two luchas in the Oran, there are two levels of terror. The first level of terror is the Pnimio Chitzani. The second level, of course, is the Nisto or the Nigla. The second idea is just like both of these Luchas are in the same container, same arm, therefore both of the terrorists, the Pnimi and the Chitzani, are in the same text of the Torah. The same text of the Torah reveals both simultaneously. The third idea is that, remember, there are three ways of concealment of these internal ideas. The first way, of course, which is a third idea, is that since the second luchas hide the first luchas, therefore we see 
that the internal Torah is disguised by the second Luchas, which of course means that it's disguised by the plain meaning of the Torah, or it's disguised by the metaphors of the Torah, or it's disguised, of course, by the Yud Gimumidis, by the 13 attributes where one derives the Torah. Therefore, we see uh, that this second idea, exactly how, uh, or rather the third idea, exactly how the uh, method of concealment takes place, of course, is exactly indicated by the metaphor of the physical relationship between the Luchas and the Oran itself. And we see, like just, just over there, that the first Luchas is hidden under the second Luchas. We therefore see that the internal Torah, as represented by the first Luchas, will be disguised by the second Luchas, which means, of course, disguised either by the plain meaning, disguised by the metaphors of the Torah, the external Torah, or disguised by the Yud Gimomidis. Now, the fourth idea, or the second method of procedure of concealment, which we learn out from this Chazal, is that the Torah itself, the Pnimi, is not properly sequenced or ordered or arranged. In other words, even though the broken pieces are in the same spot in the Oran, obviously they're in complete disarray. They're in complete disarrangement. Now, the fifth idea, or the third method, of concealment, and this is the fifth idea we learned from Chazal, is that the pieces obviously are fragmented and spread out all through the Torah, just like broken pieces. You have one piece which is supposed to be in one section is really in completely at the other end of the urn. And something which is supposed to be at the other end of the urn, of course, is in this end of the urn, and so on. Therefore we see beautifully that this Chazal is marames, or alludes to, by telling us that there are two luchas in the urn. Chazal are not telling us merely a, a nice historical fact, but they are telling us that this exact physical model truly represents the entire principle of methodology of how the Torah conceals the internal principles and the fact that the internal principles are concealed in the first place. Now, what do we see so far? That this particular mimer reveals the principle of methodology of the internal principles of creation. Now, interestingly to note, we see that not only is the internal design hidden in this manner through these principles, but we see that even Chazal, when they tell us about this particular principle of methodology, that they conceal it in themselves in a simple statement that the shivri luchus are menuchim in the Oran, that the broken parts of the luchus are really stored away in the Oran. They themselves hide the very methodological principle which they say is based or rather determines the entire way the internal principles of the Torah is hidden themselves. A second interesting idea is the fact that this mimer itself provides a very good example of the fact that in the Agotic Droshes of Chazal there are two levels of understanding. One is the simple or the plain meaning or understanding and the second is the profound idea or concept. And we see that Chazal do not merely tell us a historical idea, but Chazal tell us, of course, in a plain meaning, what appears to be some kind of historical idea. That the Shivrei uh, Luchas, uh, the broken pieces of the, of the first Luchas, are really contained in the Oran, or are really contained in the, in the, uh, the Ark itself. But Chazal also say, and we see how this is indicated to us metaphorically, that the entire exact relationship between the Or Pnimi, the hidden internal principles of the Torah, how it stands exactly in relationship to the external principles of Torah, and that 
the metaphor, of course, exactly, truly reveals that relationship itself. Now, as such, these shurim will basically provide constant examples of seemingly innocent and innocuous statements by Torah and by Chazal, and how, in essence, they really reveal many profound and fundamental principles which are really part of the internal design of creation. And that is really one of the, as I had mentioned, one of the objectives of the, of the Shurim. But in any case, to sum up, we now see that Torah and Chazal have both internal principles and external principles. That which appears obvious to us in the plain meaning of the text, and that which, of course, is the hidden principles of the design of creation itself. And that the same text that reveals the external ideas also reveals the internal ideas. And that these internal ideas are hidden in basically one of three ways. They are hidden because they are clothed or disguised in the plain meaning of the text. Or they are disguised in metaphors. Or they are disguised in the Yud Gimomidis. This is the, worst, first, the first way of concealment. The second way of concealment, as I had mentioned, is that the... Principles themselves, even though they are hidden, are illogically sequenced in the same area of the Torah. So, of course, it's much harder to figure out what's going on. And the third um, method or of concealment, which I had mentioned, of course, is that the principles themselves are then taken and spread all over through the Torah, all over Shas. They are fragmented in all the thousands of different various drushes that Chazal say. This, then, is, of course, a statement, of course, of the principle of methodology of the Torah and Chazal, and also of the statement, of course, or the true idea that every Chazal and every Pasuk in the Torah, of course, reveals both a simple and plain meaning, and also underneath it reveals, of course, a very profound and abstract idea. And as I mentioned, that's why it is very important to study Ashkofa as a study in itself, because only when one has the initial principles of Ashkofa, then one can actually go into one can then delve into the actual further profound ideas and fundamental principles of creation. One can then go into this, of course, with, of course, much profit. Now, beginning next week, we are going to begin to delve intensively, profoundly, and rather comprehensively into the topic of Yaakov and Esav, which is one of the most difficult topics in the entire Torah to truly understand. We are going to learn this topic not from the perspective of the plain and simple meaning or the pshat, which everyone knows and is basically familiar with, but rather from the standpoint of the internal design of creation. This topic of Yaakov and Esav, which runs through the different parashites, or parashas Teodos, parashas Vayetze, and parashas Vayishlach, will demonstrate in a strikingly clear pronouncement of what a topic looks like when it is seen from a fundamental and basic framework. This topic also will clearly indicate that just as this particular subject can be dealt with on such a profound level, so can all the topics in the Torah also be dealt with with on that same level. One merely has to possess the initial fundamental principles. Now, however, time and practical considerations do not allow such development of the other areas of the Torah in such an extensive manner at this particular time. However, let this area of Yaakov and Esav, let this then serve then as a model and demonstration of the true profundity of the Torah that lies in all her gates. And that if we labor to try to understand the basic internal principles, we will be able to understand the Torah 
at that level in all the other areas.